All right, y'all can be seated as you're being seated. If you'll find your Bibles, open them up or turn them on to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. I do want to say once again to those that are guests in attendance that we are really glad that you are here. If you do not have a church home of your own, we would like to invite you next Sunday. We have starting point lunch, and that takes place at noon. It'll be up in what we call the Life Cafe. We'll be there about an hour. Uh, it's free. We'll have Christina Fajitas, uh, Fajitas from Christina's, and uh, it's a great opportunity for you to ask questions, learn a little bit more about the church, and for us to get to know each other. So if you're a guest, we're really glad that you're here. Hope that you'll join us for Starting Point next week. We also have a special gift for you. As you are leaving today, there will be a person back there passing out uh, Easter egg marshmallow mints. I mean, this has been voted the worst Easter candy on the market by you all. And so as you're leaving, it's our gift to you for Easter. As you're leaving today, take one, take two, take a whole bag. We're just glad that you're here and glad that you are our guest here on Easter. Today, I am beginning a new series of messages Uh, It's entitled Finding Rest. I'll be talking on this for four weeks. Today we'll be looking at Matthew 11, 28 through 30. In the coming weeks we'll be looking at Hebrews chapter 4. And I want to ask you a question as I begin. How many of us rolled into Easter a little bit tired? Uh, There's a lot of activity, a lot of stress. And so as you come into Easter today, you find yourself just a little bit tired. How many of us would, would admit that? I won't embarrass you or anything. Just a little bit worn out. Well, listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. All of you, take up my yoke and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for yourselves, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, what was happening? What was the context that led Jesus to speak these words and invite us to come to him and in him find rest? Well, Jesus was becoming famous. In fact, everywhere he went, large crowds of people began to follow him. He was so popular that one time... He spoke to a large crowd, and then he and the disciples got in a boat. They went across this large lake that the Bible calls the Sea of Galilee. The crowd wanted to be around him so much that they ran around the lake and met him on the other side. They were mesmerized by the teaching of Jesus. They had never heard anything like it before. And also, he was doing these great miracles, and those miracles were designed to show people that He was the Son of God, and so he would uh, heal the blind, he would make the lame to walk again, he would do these things that nobody else could do, and they were supposed to be signs of who Jesus is. Well, as all this was going on, some people began to be offended by Jesus. You know, it's really easy to offend people these days. It's amazing what they get offended about. People get offended whenever you don't think exactly like they think. To some people, Easter is offensive. The fact that Christians would gather and celebrate the resurrection of the Lord, to some people that's offensive. To some it's offensive that you would invite them to come with you. 
Uh, the other day, I was driving down Murphy Road, and you know, our parking lot is under construction right now. And I promise you, we are going to get that finished before the Lord comes back again. Uh, we are working on it. We're working on it diligently. We keep running into these little snags, and it keeps delaying the timeline, but we are going to get it finished. So I, I'm going down. You have to go past the church, and then you have to do the turnaround. And so I've got my family in the vehicle, and I'm in the turnaround, and I'm waiting for traffic to go by. And I guess I offended somebody because I waited too long because they started honking at me. I'm like, hey, I'm just trying to go to church. I look back in the rearview mirror. It's one of my favorite deacons honking at me, you know. And so we got to the parking lot. We yelled at each other. We hugged it out. It was actually that didn't part. That part didn't happen. But you know, I, I did have somebody honk at me for for waiting too long in traffic. And I'm sure you've had the same experiences. It's really easy for people to get offended today. So what did Jesus do that was so offensive? Well, in John 11 or Matthew 11 and verse four. He tells them, he says, Jesus, the Bible says, Jesus replied to them, go and report to John what you hear and see. Now, this is what offended people. The blind see, the lame walk, those with skin diseases are healed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. How dare he? I mean, how dare he heal people that are sick? How dare he tell good news to give good news to the poor? Doesn't he know that that only belongs to those that are wealthy, to those that understand everything, to those that are enlightened? How dare Jesus minister amongst those that do not have much? And how dare he spend time with people that have done things that are wrong? In verse 6, Jesus says, and if anyone is not offended because of me, he is blessed. Well, as you read through the chapter, Jesus continues to say, I'm not the first person that's been rejected. Before me, the prophets were rejected. Guys like Isaiah and Elijah and Jeremiah, who is called the weeping prophet, people didn't like their message either, and they wouldn't listen to them. In verse 17, there's this great imagery Jesus says about the people who wouldn't listen to his message, he says, we played the flute, but you wouldn't dance. Must have been a bunch of Baptists. They wouldn't dance whenever Jesus played the flute. Those that were offended by Jesus were so caught up in their busy lives. They were caught up in how smart they were. Now, they had everything figured out, how nobody else could see things exactly like them. And so, here is the Son of God right in front of them. Here is the Son of God doing things that nobody else can do, speaking in ways that nobody else has ever spoke, and they can't hear Him or see Him, and they can't absorb the simple truth that Jesus taught. So in verse 25, Jesus says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to infants. In other words, Lord, people that think that they're so smart and have it all figured out, they're, they're not hearing me. They're not seeing it, but it's the simple. It's the people that are able to understand the basics of your love and the truth of your good news. They're the ones hearing my message, and they're the ones responding in faith. And so Jesus looked out at this crowd, and it was probably made up of a bunch of hardworking people. And he said to the hardworking farmer, the man that lived in the fields day in, day out, to the family that 
worked from sunup to sundown. He said to the exhausted mother or to the young minds that were searching for meaning in life, he looks at them and he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Didn't say, come to me and I'll put you to work. Come to me and, and I'll make you really busy. He said, come to me and I will give you rest. And he says, all of you take up my yoke and learn from me because I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Rest is actually one of the major biblical themes. I don't know that we often think about it, but if you go all the way, 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 way back to Genesis chapter 1, God creates. And for the first six days, God works. And then what does he do on the seventh day? God what? Rest. Whenever Moses comes onto the scene, the great liberator Moses who led uh, probably over a million people out of slavery and bondage, they go to Mount Sinai and he goes up on the mountain. God speaks to him gives him the Ten Commandments, and on those stone tablets is the commandment to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. The Sabbath day is to be a day of what? Rest. It models what God did in creation. God worked for six days, and then he rested. Whenever Israel continued to march towards the land that God was going to give them, the promised land, it was called a land of rest. The Bible often speaks of an inheritance. It talks about God's people as being heirs. Within Scripture, uh, the inheritance was seen as a gift of rest. After someone died, they passed on the inheritance, and it was to be a gift that was symbolic of rest. When Jesus comes again, he talks about that he is going to be bringing with him rest. Whenever someone passes away, we say that may they rest in peace. What are we referring to? We are referring to heaven. May they spend their eternity with God resting in peace. And Jesus says to us, come to me and I will give you rest. Now the rest that Jesus promises us is much more than the absence of work. The rest that Jesus promises us is not the absence of adversity. The rest that Jesus offers us is not the absence of stress, work, or fear. Christ's rest is the presence of God in you that replaces your stress with faith, that brings meaning to your work, and replaces your fear with hope. For 26 years, I've had the privilege of standing before a group of people every Sunday and speaking. Over those years, I've seen a lot of people come through the doors of the church, and I've seen even some change take place in those 26 years. I have an observation about 2016 America. 2016 America is absolutely exhausted. I see it week in, week out. People walk in the doors, and as you're walking up the parking, walking in the parking lot, you got the kids, and you kind of have this little bit of fatigue in your step, and you kind of just walk in the door, and, and, and you're tired. You, it's not just here. I, it's not just because my sermons are becoming more and more boring. I, I see this everywhere. 
uh, at the grocery store, at the baseball games, at school, everywhere you go. If you just people watch for a few moments, you'll see people are absolutely exhausted. I was with my kids at this Curious George exhibit about a year ago, and I just looked around, and there were all the moms and the dads and the grandparents with their kids at this children's event. The kids were having fun. The parents were like, I mean, they were just like, get me out of here as quick as you can. Uh, People are just absolutely tired. And with this restless soul, with this fatigue, comes an emotional numbness. We reach this point where we don't really feel anything. We also begin to lose our laughter. Let me ask you this question. How long has it been since you really laughed? I mean, that belly laugh, that uncontrollable laugh. How long has it been since you laughed? When you become restless, you cease to be impressed by anything. It doesn't matter how great it is, how wonderful it is. Eh, whatever. It doesn't impress you. If you won $500 million in the lottery, your response would be, great, now I have to pay more in taxes. And yeah, we would receive your offering. We would take it. It People ask me that question sometimes. Yeah, we would pray about it and all that, but we would take it. So pay off some debt and move forward. Now, we, we know something's not right. And so there's this, there's this little bit of imbalance in our souls. And so we, we begin to think that the solution is to go more places. I'll, I'll see more things. I'll, I'll be more active. I'll, I'll expand my horizons. Or we think maybe I just need to buy more stuff. Or maybe I need to Google or tweet or Facebook more and connect with more people. And this crazy thing happens is that the more that we do and the more stuff that we have, the more exhausted we are. It seems like we just keep running and keep trying to to do everything that we're supposed to do and be the people that we're supposed to be and check off all the boxes, and we're just more and more tired. So what are the things that are exhausting us? Well, there's a lot of things, but I identified three. These are practical things that I think are really draining us. Number one is so many choices. Now, this isn't your fault. It's just the world and the community in which you live. You have so many choices that it creates kind of an emotional overload. When I was a boy, if my family wanted a hamburger, we always went to the Golden Burger, and we got hamburgers at Golden Burger. You say, well, why did you go to Golden Burger? Well, it was the only hamburger place within 10 minutes of where we lived, so we had one choice unless we wanted to drive 15, 20 minutes. This scene will happen in the next hour as people are leaving the parking lot. Somewhere you'll, you'll be going right here towards the exit of the church, and right before you exit, the question will be asked in the car, what's for lunch? And everybody in the car will just kind of freeze because the answer will depend upon which way you turn. And so the, 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 your car will just kind of stop at the mouth. You'll start thinking about, okay, if I go this way, these places are available. If I go this way, this way is available. So which way, which way should I go? And you'll just kind of be frozen there because nobody will be able to make a decision. Finally, a deacon will honk at you from behind, and you'll decide, okay, I guess we need to move forward and figure out what's for lunch. We have so many choices that it overloads us. We also have awareness like never before. I'm, I'm not against technology, but we have George Jetson stuff in in our phones. 
and, and we take in so much information on a daily basis. You can learn more from one Google search than your grandparents could find in a library all day. And so we're constantly, day in, day out, taking in masses of information. Whenever we don't know the answer to something, we immediately Google it. We expect to immediately be able to find it. Whenever a tragedy happens within the world, we immediately know about it, and then we see it replayed repeatedly. I mean, this is just constant life, day in, day out, where we live. We have this awareness. It's very difficult to filter all this information into anything that is wisdom, but we're always taking it in, and one of the results is that we live perpetually overstimulated, and then we are connected. You are always plugged into a group of people. And the flip side of that is those people are always plugged into you. And it brings you some enjoyment to be connected to these people all the time because you can keep up with friends and family and see what's going on in their lives. But at the same time, they're always draining a little bit from you at the same, as well. And so the, the end result is this exhaustion. As I watch the groups of people come in throughout the course of the day, you know which, group has, which demographic group has the most energy? The senior citizens, the, the old folks. I mean, they come in with a bounce in their step. They're like, hey, preacher, we've already ran three miles. Hey, you know, preach as long as you want. We're okay, you know. But, but the, those of us who, who are living the life and out there trying to just take it all in, we find ourselves really, really tired. Where were you during the great hailstorm of 2016? Do you remember? Of course you do. I'd just gotten home. I'd been up here teaching a Bible study and a I got home. We had gotten the girls to sleep. The, the boys in my household were still up. They were on a reign of terror, but uh, the girls were asleep, and uh, suddenly the hail starts pounding the house, and we're like, get out of bed and get in the restroom now. Move, 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 move. And so they, we all ran into the restroom. The dog was going crazy, and we were just hoping that the windows and roof would hold. I think that's how a lot of us are in life. Imagine yourself getting caught outside in that hailstorm. There's nowhere to hide, nowhere to go. There's no shelter, and it's just coming from everywhere. And that, that's how a lot of us feel today. We just feel like people are constantly wanting something from us. There's constantly something to do. There's always expectations. There's, there's, there, there's just event after event after event, and the church wants me to get up at sunrise and go out to the pond, and, and, and then there's all this stuff that's happening, and we're just like bombarded. And the end result is that many of us are weary, we're heavy laden, and and we're exhausted. So enter Jesus. He stands before us and he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to Jesus. You see, rest is not going to be found in you. You can plan it all you want. You can look inward all you want. But you're not, you cannot do enough. You cannot sleep enough. You cannot buy enough. You cannot experience enough to really find the rest that Jesus is talking about. It's a deep spiritual rest that presides within you no matter the circumstances. The rest Jesus calls you to is to place your faith in Him. In the Bible, and we'll talk about this more in the weeks to come, faith and rest are always connected in the Bible. Whenever we are able to place our faith 
in Christ, uh, it fills us with grace, it fills us with trust, with rest. Whenever we are trying to do everything ourselves and play the role of God, it fills us with anxiety. Faith is also the first step in the Christian life. It's the first step towards what we call salvation. Coming to that point where you realize you're not God. Coming to that point where you realize that I've done some things in the past that I shouldn't do. I've harbored attitudes that I shouldn't hold on to. I've, I've spoken words that I shouldn't say. I, I have done things for which I need forgiveness. I have spiritual baggage in my past, and Christ says to me, come to me, and I turn from my past, and I turn to Christ, placing my faith in Him. That initial step towards salvation is a step of faith. And so my Easter prayer for you today, for your family today, is that you will have rest, R-E-S-T. Realize Easter's Easter story's truth. Realize that the story of Easter is true. What is the truth of Easter? Well, it begins with the idea that God loves you. While we were yet sinners, God demonstrated His love in this way, that Christ died for us, that God loves us. God doesn't wait for you to clean up your act before He'll love you. He reaches through your baggage. He reaches through your past, and He extends His love to you. He calls you. He draws you to His love. The famous verse of Scripture in John three sixteen: for God so loved the world, and it was out of that love that He had for you and for me and for His creation that He sends His Son. And what does His Son do? His Son lives a life that none of us can live. As we look back at our past, all of our past are stained by sin. We've all done things that we shouldn't. The Bible says, for all sin, for all, fall short of the glory of God. But in Jesus' life, He was without sin, and so He lived life differently than we live, yet at the same time, He experienced life in human flesh, and He experienced the same temptations and trials that we go through, yet He was able to live above the stench of sin. We find, her, we find Jesus throughout his story, he begins to share the love of God and demonstrate the love of God in his life. It offends some people. They conspire together. Eventually, it leads him to the crucifixion. But the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, according to Scripture, was not simply the death of a good, moral, loving teacher who found himself at odds with people. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ, according to Scripture, was what we call an atonement. It was a substitutionary atonement. Now, that's a theological term. What does that mean? By substitutionary, I mean that Christ died in your place and mine. He is our substitute. The atonement means that Christ absorbed within himself the wrath of God intended for sin. So God took our Jesus took on God's wrath. He propitiated God through the cross, and there on the cross, He absorbed the wrath of God intended for sin, and it led Him to the destination of humanity, which is death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And so at the end of the story of the cross, at the end of Good Friday, we find Jesus in the tomb. It's not a, it's not a fake death. It's, it's death. 
We don't like to think about it, but it's also something that we all have in our future. Yet again, the one great difference between Jesus and us is that death cannot contain Jesus. He overcomes death. He rises again, and that's what we celebrate here on Sunday, the fact that Jesus has risen, and that is the simple story of the gospel. And as Jesus told what he called the good news, there were many that in the busyness of their life and in their their own self-absorption about how smart they were, they would not listen to his message. He played the flute, and yet they did not dance. Yet there were some that heard the message, some that absorbed it, some that believed. And it was those that came to Christ, and in Christ they find rest. God's Son calls you to come to Him in faith. And when we come to Christ in faith, He grants us rest. What does rest look like? We have forgiveness for our past. I have regrets. I've treated people wrongly. I've done things which are sins against Almighty God. But those are forgiven. I don't have to wear them every day. I don't have to be identified by them. They do not define my future. My past has been forgiven because Christ has died for my sins. My presence, my present has purpose. Whenever you put on Christ, as Ephesians teaches us, whenever you wear Christ and you are a Christian, then everywhere you go, you have a singleness of purpose a simplicity of life because there's one transcending goal in everything that you do and that is to bring glory and honor to God. So at your, at your work, you have one goal. I want to bring glory to God. I want to work in a way that honors God. In your marriage, you have one goal. I want to treat my spouse and love my spouse in a way that honors God. In my parenting, I have one goal. I, I want to I love my kids and I want to raise my, kid, my kids in a way that honors God. As you talk to other people in the community, you have one, you have one goal. I, I want to honor God. I want to honor God as I talk to the cashier at Sprouts. As I walk my dog around the neighborhood and I see my neighbors, I want to honor God in the way that I, I love my neighbors. And everything that I do, I have this simplistic goal simply to honor God in everything. Jesus brings forgiveness for my past. He brings purpose to my present. And He brings hope for my future because beyond the hundred-year window that we call life, there is eternity. And Jesus says there's eternity with God. There is rest to be found at the end of the journey. Rest in heaven. So the rest that Jesus speaks of is forgiveness for your past, purpose for your present, hope for your future. And I have one final question and we'll be done. And that is, has there ever been a moment in your life where you personally have come to Christ and found rest in Him? placed your faith in Him, and trusted in Him as Lord and Savior. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we bow our heads? The bowing of head is an act of reverence towards God. and I'd like to ask you to stand and keep your head bowed until we begin singing the song, but I want to ask a question of you this morning. Is this your moment? Is this your moment when you come to Christ? And trust in Him as your Savior and Lord? Are you that person that God has gone to work in your life? And He's been drawing you. He's been speaking to you. And 
here you are, it's Easter Sunday 2016, and you take inventory of your life, and you come to the realization that God has been drawing you to the cross, drawing you to Himself, and right now needs to be your moment when you place your faith in Christ. If that's you, I invite you to call out to God. Speak to Him in your own words. If you're you're not sure what to say, you might say something like this, Heavenly Father, I ask for your forgiveness for my past. Lord, I have done things that are wrong, and I want to leave those things in the past, and I pray for forgiveness. I bring those to the cross. I trust in Jesus as my Savior and Lord, and I ask that Jesus might change me from the inside out. And this morning on Easter Sunday, I commit my life to being a follower of Christ. And through your power, I want to follow Christ and I want to honor Christ in everything that I do in my life. Lord, I need rest that is only found in you. And so I place my faith in you today. Pray that prayer in the name of the Lord. If that's who you are, today's my day where I trusted in Christ. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way, but I want to I want to rejoice with you. I want to be a pastor to you. Like I say, I won't call you out or embarrass you, but if today was your moment where you trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior, would you just slip your hand up right where you are? Just lift your hand right where you are. Flash today, I trusted in Christ as my Savior and my Lord. I find rest in Him. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, Lord, for the power of the cross. Help us, Lord, not to be so busy that we miss you. Help us, Father, not to have really, really full lives and empty souls. Help us, Lord, to be spiritually full, to experience this rest that you you invite us to. It's in Jesus' name we pray and worship. Amen.